Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, it's Albert. Hoping to give you guys a nice diversion this week from everything that's happening in our world. we got a great guest lined up. He's going to come in and talk about quarterbacks, both young and not quite as young. And then, of course, we've got the takeaways. And as always, we wrap things up with your questions in the six-pack. Let's go. All right, welcome in. It's the MMQB Podcast with Albert Breer. We're in the third full week of the quarantine. Uh, yeah, here's hoping that everybody is listening to the doctors, paying attention to the science, um, you know, we can all get through this. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist, but I'm listening to what people are saying. Um, and, you know, it's clear we can all get through this, but the best way to do it with the least damage to human life is to social distance, to wash your hands, to take care of all the things that they've been telling us to take care of. I think by now, most people are paying attention to this. If you aren't, you're an idiot and you need to be paying attention to it. So, uh, you know, we're going to get to the football stuff that you guys are here for. But I just thought it was important, again, to drive that message home and can't be driven home enough. We've got a great guest coming up, one of our favorite guests. He's going to 
help us out with a lot of the quarterbacking storylines across the NFL, how quarterbacks are adjusting to this new normal, what he's done to help them. If you're a Jets fan, you're a Bills fan, you're a Bengals fan, you're a Patriots fan in particular, you're going to want to listen to us Redskins fans too. Um, so we got that coming up. We got all of your, we're going to answer all your questions in the mailbag as we always do. Um, but we're going to start with the takeaways and my first takeaway, I'm, I don't think the NFL's got evil intentions here, but there are a couple of things that I think they certainly could have handled better. Okay. Now I don't think the idea of going forward with the draft is indefensible. I think it does give people a great escape. I know a lot of people are looking forward to it because it's, you know, it's going to be like this oasis and what's been a desert of sports content over the last few weeks. Um, so I can appreciate that. It's going to create a lot of challenges for teams, but they're manageable challenges. There are going to be mistakes made that haven't been made in past years. Uh, you know, but I, but I think that stuff's manageable. What the league didn't need to do, A, the league didn't need to threaten it's it's team executives, it's coaches. Look, it's not unanimous. There isn't, and, and, and Roger Goodell tried to put it out there that, that he got in this unanimous agreement that they should go back, go forward with the draft. It, I can just tell you right now, among general managers, among head coaches, it is not unanimous. There are lots of people who feel like, based on what's going on in this country, that we shouldn't be, we should, well, like the, the NFL should be pushing pause like every other major sports league. I know that there are general managers and head coaches who feel like it's not fair that they're being forced to make multi-million dollar decisions, decisions that could wind up determining their job security in a couple of years in, under these circumstances. Um, so it's not unanimous. And I'm not saying that all those guys are right, you know, but, but the idea that it's unanimous is incorrect. And the fact that those guys have all been threatened, like if you don't shut up, then there's going to be discipline. I just, I think it's the wrong tone to take. I think everybody's entitled to their opinion in a situation like this. I think it's ridiculous that the league's threatening people for stepping out of line and saying, you know what, we're not doing the right thing. Again, I'm not saying it's the right or wrong thing. I'm just telling you I, the, the, the league's doing the wrong thing and treating their employees this way at this time all in the name of going forward with the draft. When we know, that, when we know a good portion of the motivation is driven by the economics of it. Okay, and I think the second misstep here is the phrasing in a conference call that I was a part of on on Tuesday. The idea, like, and I understand why they're doing it. Again, I I get it. Like, like they have to the messaging towards businesses that are going to be cutting back their sponsors, their partners, their advertisers. Like, they have to, you know, they have to put on this this confident front. But the idea, like. We're planning on going forward in September and everything that we've heard is that we're going to be able to go forward in September and like this gung ho, like damn the torpedoes, like this, 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 this confidence, this bluster, like, you know, this is not going to stop us again. Just, I think it's the wrong tone and that's my personal opinion. Again, I understand you've got a lot of money on the line here. I understand a lot of the businesses that they have partnerships with are going to be cutting back. So there's a lot of money on the line here. And I understand they got to put forward a confident front, but you have to be, I, I just think that the, the league has got to be way more careful about its tone. 
He's got to be way more careful about his tone internally with its coaches and its head and its general managers because this is going to hit the NFL at some level. And the idea that they were threatening people about the idea of, the, the idea that they were threatening people on talking speaking out against going forward, you know, based on everything that we're going through in our country. I think that that's wrong and it's going to look worse when it does hit the NFL as it inevitably will. Um, and I think it's also just comes off the wrong way to be talking about the 2020 season. Like it's a foregone conclusion that there's going to be one. All right. Takeaway number two, the flip side of this is that they, since they are going forward, there are going to be teams that are going to gain an advantage here. There are going to be players that are going to gain a, gain an advantage here. And I, I, the feedback I've gotten from teams so far is they're actually able to go a little deeper with prospects now because they can talk to them multiple times this way. And because they are focused on the zoom meetings on the FaceTime interviews, and they're allowed to have three of those per week with each player up to an hour per call. And so they're able to sort of develop relationships with these guys a little bit better. They're also able to do it with more guys because they're not flying guys in because their staff isn't out on the road. They're able to hit more guys and they're able to kind of go through more guys. And so that's something that they can do that they haven't been able to do in the past. Now you lose some stuff. Of course you can't get, put a guy through a private private workout. You can't bring in a guy, bring a guy in for a physical and those sorts of things do hurt, but there's an advantage that certain teams are gaining here based on the circumstances. And as for the players, the players involved, and you're going to hear our guests talk about this a little bit. Um, you know, the players are able to, the players who are being smart about this, the same way players who are being smart about it in 2011, will be able to create an advantage for themselves. There will be a gap here between the players that use this time as time off and you, the players that use this time strategically. And so I think that there is that part of it too. So teams and players, smart teams, smart players, I think are going to be an advantage coming through, going through this. And whenever we get to the 2020 season, assuming there is a 2020 season, I think you'll be able to see which teams use their time correctly. Takeaway number three, Laramie Tunsil, who has all the leverage in the world, reportedly turned down an offer of $18.5 million per year. Now that would make him the highest paid tackle in football, the highest paid offensive lineman in football, but just by a little bit. Lane Johnson got a deal last year, the Eagles right tackle for $18 million a year. So basically what the Texans have offered him is a deal making him the richest offensive lineman ever with an incremental increase over the old standard. And Tunsil right now, because of all that leverage he's got, because the Texans gave up so much to get him, because the Texans can't let him go because he's such a big part of their future now has said, no, I'm in the position Aaron Donald or Khalil Mack was. I'm an elite player at my position, and I'm prepared to change the market. Now, what's interesting about this one is what it tells us about where the Texans are and that they were willing to invest this level in their offensive line, in an alignment, but they balked at the idea of doing it with the receiver. Now, there were other issues involved with that receiver, with DeAndre Hopkins. There was friction, of course, there. But they're, able, they're they're willing to do it on the offensive line. This tells you a little bit about where Billy O'Brien and that group, where, where their belief system that they believe it's important to invest in the offensive in the offensive and defensive lines. And I think that that's clear 
with what they're doing here with Tunsil. So it's a philosophical thing. The second part of it, I think, is that, you know, we've seen certain positions clear the $20 million a year barrier. The defensive tackles did it. The defensive ends slash outside linebacker, that edge position, they did it. The receiver position now has, has now done it. And what you see is it sort of starts to drag people up. And the and the receiver position has broken through that glass ceiling too. Mike Thomas got twenty million per, then Julio Jones got twenty two million per, and now players at that position are gonna be able to ask for that. We haven't seen it at corner. I think eventually we will. We haven't seen it yet in the offensive line. So Laramie Tunsil can bring guys up with him. And so he can change the dynamic here. I think he probably will. My guess would be Laramie, Laramie Tunsil probably becomes the first $20 million offensive lineman. Takeaway number four, guys that have been affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. I think two names stick out more than any any others. That's Cam Newton and Jadevian Clowney. What do they have in common? Well, both those guys have had some questions personality-wise, and both those guys have had serious injuries. And so these are the sorts of guys that are really hurt by not being able to come in and take a physical, by not being able to come in and sit down and meet with people. And I think with both of them, Clowney, it's the microfracture injury. With Cam, it's the it's the right shoulder and the left foot. There's questions, all right, like you're not in an NFL program right now. We might not have an off season. Are we going to be able to ramp you up and get you ready to play in time? in 2020. And so it's going to be interesting to see what those guys do. Do those guys sit and wait until, you know, teams are, are sort of back and operational. Do those guys wait for the right situation to sort of arise? Maybe somebody gets hurt. It's, I think these two to me are the most fascinating because these two just, Two big names, two guys who can be impact players, two guys without homes right now, and two guys who have to make decisions strategically on what they want to do. I think chances are Clowney winds up back in Seattle and maybe on a one-year deal because he had eyed getting into that $20 million club. With Cam, I don't know, man. With Cam, it's the, the Chargers and Patriots are the two that seem to have openings there. I'm not sure that either of them make a run at him. The Patriots, because of their cap situation, they probably want to give Jared Stidham a look. We're going to talk more about Stidham in a little bit. And the Chargers, because I I think they probably draft one. And if they draft one, I think it's Tyrod. I think it's a rookie. And do you want to put Cam in that mix? And so Cam's in a a weird, weird spot. Um, Because I think most teams believe it'd be tough to bring him in if he's not your starting quarterback. It'd be tough to slot him in as the 20th guy in your roster. Because he's a guy who's so used to being the center of everything. You know, he's been he was a centerpiece in Auburn. He was a centerpiece at you know from day one in Carolina. It's hard to envision him being just sort of your average player on your roster, like the twentieth guy in your roster. How would he exist in that environment? How would he handle being in a room with a guy who, you know, if you're the charges you drafted sixth overall? There, there are some questions that he needs to answer there too. And so I think those two are going to be fascinating to watch and could wind up sitting out there in the market for a little while longer. Finally, takeaway number five, I'm going to give you guys five things to know because we're getting closer to the draft, only three weeks away. Five things to know about the 2020 draft class. First, 
it's Joe Burrow, first overall. And then I think for Tua Tungavaloa and Justin Herbert, things are a little unpredictable. With Tua, you're going to get different different opinions on him medically. I'm not sure Miami's comfortable with the medicals there. And with Justin Herbert, the question is, does he project to be a better pro than he was a college player? Because there are some questions about his tape. Tua doesn't have very many questions about his tape. It's mostly medical. Justin Herbert doesn't have questions medical or whether, whether he'll be able to hold up. It's more about his tape. And so I think both those guys could wind up going in the top five, but I'm not totally locked in on it. I think that those guys are a little unpredictable as far as where they go. Second thing to know, I don't get the idea the NFL is in love with Jordan Love, the Utah State quarterback, as people might think. I just, I look, I don't know that he falls to the bottom of the first round, but a month ago, I would have told you he's probably going to go in the first 12 or 13 picks. I'm not so sure about that anymore. I'm just having a hard time finding teams that really are over the top, infatuated with him, quarterbacks, coaches that really love him. And that leaves a lot of questions, a lot of questions to be answered. Um, my third thing to know for the 2020 draft class, there are four elite defensive players in the class, Isaiah Simmons, Jeff Okuda, uh, Derek Brown, and of course, Chase Young, and four top offensive tackles, Makai Becton from Louisville, Jedrin, Jedrick Wills from Alabama, Tristan Wirfs from Iowa, and Andrew Thomas from Georgia. I believe those eight players go somewhere in the first 13 or 14 picks along with the three quarterbacks. And so I think what you have here is a draft that's got sort of this upper class, right, where you got the four elite defensive players, I, Javon Kinlaw might, might go in that that area too, right around where the top four go. The four elite offensive tackles. And, the, and, I, and I think that they're all in a cluster because there's a drop-off of tackle after the top four. There's a little bit of a drop-off in defensive players after the top four. And then you have the, the three quarterbacks. And so I think those 11 players probably go in the first 12 or 13 picks because of just supply and demand at their positions and because those guys all have a chance to be blue chip players in the NFL. Thing to know, number four for the 2020 class, the wide receiver class is outstanding. I've heard CD lamb compared to Deandre Hopkins. I've heard Jerry Judy compared to Marvin Harrison and Henry drugs brings incredible foot speed to the equation. And so those three guys have a chance to be star players you know, I think Judy and um, Judy and, and Lamb are sort of your prototypical number ones. Whereas with with uh, with Rugs, you're looking at maybe a little bit of a trend thing where players, you know, teams are going to look at it and say, well, because of what the Chiefs have done with Tyree Kill, we can make a player like that who's smaller but incredibly fast. We can make him our number one. And so I think all three of those guys, there's there's merit in taking any any of those three in the top twenty. My question is, if you're one of these teams. Do you look at it and say, we're going to get our tackle, we're going to get our pass rusher, we're going to get our corner in the first round and wait till the second or third round to get our receiver, especially when you look at the history of second-round second receivers over the last few years that have had success like pretty quickly in the NFL. Mike Thomas in New Orleans, DJ Chark in Jacksonville, the two old Miss kids last year, A.J. Brown and D.K. Metcalf. It's going to be an interesting dynamic there with those top receivers because it's a great class. I think those three guys I mentioned are worthy of going in the top 15 or 20 picks. The question is whether or not the depth of the class hurts them. Finally, my 
fifth thing to know for this draft class. The draft starts at three. I think Burrow goes one to the Bengals. I think when all is said and done, Chase Young, who is actually an ex-teammate of Joe Burrow's at Ohio State, goes second to Washington. And then I think the Lions are open for business at three. Um, if they stick there, I think they probably take Jeff Okuda. If Chase Young were to follow them for some reason, if Washington were to trade out or take two or something crazy, then I think they would sit there at three and take Chase Young. Um, but I think chances are Cincinnati goes Burrow, Washington goes Young, and then the draft really starts at three with the Lions perhaps holding an auction for that pick. All right, we're going to get to our guest right after this. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. And recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry. Back to Iguodala. Up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating Cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever 
you get your podcast. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and challenge all-star. And speaking of all-stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of challenge champion. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're going to welcome back in a recurring guest, uh, former NFL quarterback, works with a lot of quarterbacks, and like a lot of us is in a unique situation, I would say, this week, um, in the last few weeks. That's Jordan Palmer. And uh, Jordan, I want to start here. Like, I, you know, I talked to Kyle Allen last week. I know, you know, Kyle and Josh Allen and Sam Darnold were sort of holed up there. Um, what have the last few weeks been like for you? <laughs> you know, because this seems like – seemed like there was like almost like a quarterback quarantine going on out there. Yeah, there was. And, um, you know, Joe Burrow was in that mix too. He, he finally went back to Ohio, uh, about a week or two ago when Southern California started getting, uh, further down the line in terms of shutting things down. And, um, but yeah, I, we we're limiting what we're doing. I mean, we're throwing on the beach with selected receivers, only two or three of them who we know and have been, you know, quarantined as well and keeping our distance so it's just yeah it's weird times we're trying to get some work in and at the same time uh this feels like the 2010 lockout all over again which is exactly 10 years um to the off season you know about nine years uh nine years ago and um where we didn't have an off season we just guys just showed up to training camp i i feel like that's where it's heading i definitely don't have any inside information and who knows where this this uh, this feels headed? But uh, that's what it feels like to me. And and so one of the things that I can help guys with is I lived through that. In fact, I was in Cincinnati when we had the lockout. Carson had demanded this trade, and we had just selected Andy Dalton in the second round. And I was the only quarterback on the team. And we had fired our offensive coordinator and hired Jay Gruden as our offensive coordinator. So we had a new offense as well. And so. Um, Back then, I kind of organized team activities. I got the whole team together, which obviously you can't do right now. Um, but the Bengals ended up having a good year. They went to the playoffs. Andy went to the Pro Bowl. And a lot of the teams that got really tight during that offseason uh, were the teams that won a bunch of games. And so for Sam and Josh and Kyle's on a new team now, if you can really communicate with all your guys, if you can talk way more with the defensive leaders than you normally would this time of year, and you guys can have great communication, um, you know, build via Zoom, Skype, whatever, build like, you know, deeper relationships with guys, it's kind of all you can do to create an advantage for your team because you can't really organize anything, you know, collectively as a group. Um, you can't throw and get timing. And so the only chance you have to get your team better is to communicate more and stay cl- and get closer through this. 
and so that's kind of what I've been pushing guys to do. We're throwing a little bit, but I, I, you know, I'm kind of like improve the things that you can control, and and that's really the only one on the table right now. What do you remember about like the creative things that you did do during the lockout in '11 that maybe would apply nine years later? Well, um, we installed a new offense, and so um, one of the things that we did is um, Andrew Whitworth was our left tackle, and so I got the playbook and. You know, Andrew took a lot of pride in, uh, you know, installing the protections uh, and doing that to the group. And so for some of the linemen, that was cool to hear Wit explain it. But for some of the other positions to have Wit explain it, that was interesting. And then having, um, you know, some of the receivers and tight ends, they do their installs for the group. It just kind of got more people talking. We did it at my high school, Michigan High School. Um, it got more people talking and then, we ended up organizing a, a group, uh, the full team offense and defense out at the University of Cincinnati, and that was like Doma Tateco and Pac-Man and Tahani Jones and those, you know, some some names people haven't heard in a minute. And um, you know, and they took pride in like installing the you know the defense and doing seven on seven. So we can't do any of that stuff yet. But what you can do is um, really take time to communicate with guys that you normally wouldn't be talking with right now. Did you have- typically on the other side of the ball? Yeah, have have Sam and. Josh and Kyle. I mean, with Kyle, I guess it's a little bit of a different situation because he just got traded, so he needs to get to know those guys first. But like with Josh and with, with Josh Allen and 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 Sam Darnold, have they started to do that sort of stuff? Oh yeah, yeah. They've been having uh, multiple calls a day, just connecting with guys. It doesn't cost you anything. What the hell else you got going on, anyways? You got plenty of free time, and you know everyone else has free time too. Um, I, I just told him like if you guys are going to compete this time of year and you can only, you're limited on what you can do with yourself and you're limited on what you can do physically with teammates, how do you communicate better than every other team in the league? Um, because this whole league is just about creating advantages for yourself, uh, whether that's personnel, whether that's coaching, whether that's an individual talent or physical ability, it really or weather or an adult, everything is about this game because because everyone has the same salary cap, right and same amount of players on the team and all the owners are rich and all the stadiums are full. So you're limited on ways that you can create advantages and really limited this time of year right now with what's happening. And so there's something that's uncapped, unmonitored. um, And it's hard to argue that communicating with teammates that you normally wouldn't communicate with is a waste of time. It's hard to make that argument. So um, it's a way to create an advantage for your team. Where do you think it showed up for you guys that year then in 11? Like, where did that kind of come into play? Well, I just think um, a lot of guys, they just built better relationships that offseason. It wasn't like show up to work and then leave. It was people were flying themselves out here. They were putting themselves up in a hotel. We were going out at night. We were, the golfers were golfing. And hang out, guys who were just hanging out were playing or just hanging out. You know, it was just, it, you ended up kind of connecting with different guys. And I just feel like it's the same reason that colleges go off the training camps in, in the mountains for a couple of days, you know what I mean? And get away and, or, or in the OTAs, the team, you'll hear that a team will go paintballing as a team. It's just about building relationships, but that's really manufactured. Um, when it's on the players completely to do it and there's no one making them do it. Uh, I feel like guys build, you know, more authentic bonds um, than they normally would, and uh, it's hard to to show direct correlations, you know. And I don't know if PFF has any stats on how that correlates to the win column, but um, in theory, it would make more sense to uh, know your teammates better, and uh, and that's again with 
kind of handcuffed here on what you can do to develop yourself in the off season. So that's really the only one that's kind of on, uh, on cap. So like the way Kyle kind of described it to me, what, you know, what him and Josh and Sam were going through at least last week before I know Kyle went back to Arizona. Um, but what they, what it was like last week was, um, you know, you couldn't like work out, you couldn't throw it like at fields or parks. Cause most of those are closed. Um, the gym's closed. So they were basically throwing on a beach and, um, and, and like working out, I guess in someone's garage, right? Like in, in, in their trainer's garage. And so, uh, what was it Trainers like? Client's garage. That's how <laughs> random it is. And we threw this morning, um, at my little league field. It's kind of a soccer field too. While these other little kids were playing soccer on the other side of the field. I mean, it's a trip. I am out there with three franchise quarterbacks and we're working out on the little kid's soccer field. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's insane. And I'm talking to other buddies who coach and other players around, you know, cause I got guys who were supposed to be out here right now. Um, we were supposed to spend the second half of March out here. And so kind of like, Hey, checking in, what are you doing? What? I mean, these guys are like throwing to their little brother in the backyard all over again. Um, and yet they're like franchise starting quarterbacks. It's, it's a trip. How have you adapted it? Like, so like how, what have you had to adapt as far as throwing? I, I like one thing Kyle mentioned to me was like, he feels like he's working on his core more now, like throwing at the beach. Like, so I guess there are little things that you're probably, they're probably each getting out of it. But, um, I, I'd assume like, like you, you mentioned how all this stuff's competitive, right? Like, and you're always looking for an edge and if there's something you can be doing that no one else is doing, then you, then maybe you get that edge. Um, have there been things that you've been able to do that have created that edge? You think for the for for the three guys you've been working with? Um, yeah, I think we're just it's like anything. We're with each guy. I'm always, and it's not hey, it's not that I think he should do this, so I'm going to tell him to do this. It's I'm a consultant, right? And so Kyle and I would talk about what we think Kyle needs to work on, and then it's my job to put him in a position to to be able to work on that. Um, but the first thing I did is we dialed it back, right? We're only throwing twice a week right now because normally I'm building to four days a week as guys leave for OTAs. Uh, and really they go back a couple, they're back for like two or three weeks before OTAs even start on a normal schedule. Um, so normally right now we would be building up to four days a week, but I just kind of said, Hey, look, let's go back down to two because if we're doing this indefinitely, um, I don't want anybody to peak, right? You know, start peaking and getting their arm in great shape. Let's just throw enough to be able to work on specific things. Um, but arm conditioning is not one of them. Arm care is. So doing a lot of stuff before and after we throw, building up the shoulder capsule, working on um, like thoracic rotation, their ability to rotate to the right and the left. So really working on like the foundational things that make up their throwing motion um, while then they go with their strainer and are working on, um, you know, just the rest of the body and movement. And so really right now it's each – it's not any different in that where I'm always picking one thing to focus on. And then once that starts to become muscle memory, then we work on the next thing as opposed to trying to think about 15 things at once. And anybody who's listening, like if you're a golfer and you get over the ball on the tee box and you're thinking about 13 different things, I mean, that thing's going in the woods for sure. Um, but if you just think, you know, relax my hands, you know, let the club head go, or, you know, one or two things in your head, usually it allows you to focus. And so that's kind of, always been my approach to working with the elite guys. Can you give me like one thing? Can you give me an area where you think each of those guys is getting better right now? Yeah. Josh Allen, um, deep ball has been a theme for the off season. And so 
uh, focusing on just keeping his shoulder level. So if you look at him at any point right now, his shoulder level is going to be far more parallel to the ground and horizontal than leaning back where the front shoulder tips up. And so we spent a lot of time, he's talking to some other folks too. Um, and uh, we kind of put a plan together and we're a month or two into that. And I, I think it's going to be, you know, a big improvement this year. Um, with Sam Darnold, the mechanical thing is his front foot and left foot just getting, um, clearing space for his hip to be able to get all the way through. Um, you know, and Kyle just getting over his front foot when he throws. Um, not fading away from things. So when I go in the sand, it makes it very easy to fade away from your throw and not come over that front foot. And uh, and so just with each of these guys, just putting them in positions to where, hey, look, this is the thing we're going to isolate and work on. Um, and but again, it's it's super collaborative. It's it's not. I'm not I'm not like dropping a bomb on them or something. I think they need to work on, and they're caught off guard. It's always it's, uh, collaboration. Do you think there's um? I mean, I guess like in a circumstance like this, you probably learned something about guys too. Like, do you feel like you've learned anything about them going through this with them? Uh, not so much these guys. I met Sam when he was 14, Kyle when he was 16. You know what I mean? Um, we're, we're, it's a little different than the typical coach-player relationship for sure. Um, but I think these guys are learning um, how to compete and uh, and really be the leader their their teams need, particularly Sam and Josh, obviously because they're the unquestioned starters. Um, they're they're learning um, how to do that, and just by the way that they're communicating with teammates right now. And and uh, you know, quarterback in the NFL, it's 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 a twelve month deal. This is not for, for the good ones. It's a twelve month deal um, for the guys who are reaching their potential and are as good as they should be. It's twelve months. And, uh, and so these guys are not just putting in the work on their own, but part of what it takes if you're going into year three is you need to be the unquestioned leader on the team. You need to have a great relationship with a lot of players on the team and be communicating different things. And so I think um, they're learning how to do that. And, um, you know, you, get, you know, every month or so that goes by, they're learning ways to do that. And that's why I think they're going to have the success that they're going to have. So in a way, this has been a good thing for them. And that it give, like you said, going back to what you said at the beginning, like, this provided the opportunity for them to sort of naturally take that step because it's needed right now. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I, I wouldn't go as far as say this is a good thing, <laughs> but yeah, but I mean, just for that, even just for them, I, I think uh, it's just another part of um, of the job that is being inquired upon more than more than normal. Uh, but these guys are great leaders, anyways. You know, they're they're uh, they're crowd favorites in the locker room and. They're guys, the guys on the team look to them for uh, for leadership in a lot of different situations. This is just an, a unique situation in which they're being looked at. Okay, I do want to ask you about Joe too, um, and sort of, and I guess your experience having been around Andy when he was handling the lockout and everything else may may help there too. Um, you know, what has it been like for Joe going through the process where it's literally like, you know, I mean, uh, you're kind of being put in like uncharted territory here even the lockout guys got to go through the full draft process right like right up to draft day and then maybe things were a little different um how is joe how has joe handled this um honestly like i think he's the least probably the least affected guy by this right because he didn't get a pro day but that doesn't matter it, it has zero effect on him um the interviews 
not getting to interview with 15 teams and visit a bunch of different teams has no effect on him. And um, at least he, and I don't, you know, I'm not getting into the, anything Cincinnati wise, but like, you know, if they pick number one, if they want to take him, he at least has had a really good idea as to what team he's going to like a way better idea than anyone else. Right. And so I actually think he's the least affected person by this. I got guys that didn't get invited to the combine that are, they were waiting on their pro day and to do a private workout and guys that are really, you know, it was gonna be very important for them to meet with these teams in person or those guys who a lot of the other quarterbacks in the first round, it's like they could, their names are being rumored to all kinds of different teams. How do you really wrap your head and prepare for that? Um, so with Joe, we kind of got through everything except for when I kind of shift to like very specific pro day training. He really only left like a week early. And that next week, we were just going to really specifically be working on the pro day script. So um, I think Joe has handled this process really well, but it was all normal. Um, it, it basically has got cut a week short. And the only thing he's missing is a pro day. And it, that's not going to affect anything for him. Um, and so I, I think it's been pretty, pretty seamless and, um, he's got homework assignments in terms of just, you know, learning more about the league and breaking down teams. And, and, uh, I think he's going to be positioned to have a great rookie year, which is what I've always, always felt. Is there any regret at all over not throwing an indie for him because of this? No, no I mean, no, none, none whatsoever, because I don't think any of the decisions are going to be made at, at his point, at his level or, or due to how he would throw in person and particularly in that environment, you know, in Indy, which is just, you can't, you can't like win Indy throwing wise. You can screw it up, but you can't win it. And so now nah, there wasn't, plus he was, he got here a month after everybody else, you know, he played national championship. He's got the parade and, um, you know, he went and visited his family. So he showed up really a month late. And, uh, after, you know, typical guys got out here and he'd only been really thrown for a couple of weeks and we were easing into it kind of knowing that he's at the top of the draft, there's no point in rushing a bunch of workouts and, and getting um, getting ready to throw an indie. Not that it's difficult and that you need to practice it, but just getting yourself like in a position to practice and do a great indie. There was just no point in doing that. And yeah, well, he was supposed to have a pro day on April 3rd, uh, but him missing out on that pro day, I don't think changes anything for anybody. Do you think, uh, have you gotten any feedback from him on what it's been like doing the FaceTime or the, the, the Zoom meeting type of interviews that they're allowing now? Yeah, I've got a lot of guys doing it. And I've also got feedback from a lot of coaches who are doing those meetings and a lot of people like them. I mean, uh, you can have an authentic conversation. You can go as long as you want. And that's a very normal thing, right, for people to FaceTime or people to Zoom. So, um, so far, it's been it's been cool. You know, guys, some guys, not specific to Joe, but, but all these guys too, they're having guys get on, you know, kind of get on the board and talk and ask questions. And, um, so it's pretty, pretty interactive. And I don't know, I, I come from the business world. And so I, and for me, an in-person meeting isn't too different than a zoom meeting, uh, as long as reception and all stuff's there. So, uh, I think it's been going really well for a lot of guys and, and, uh, some of these coaches are liking it a lot too. So what happens to Joe's training now then? Um, like, does it just go right into, all right, I'm getting ready to play NFL football now. And like, I'm not getting ready to throw at a pro day or, you know, do any sort of drills, anything like that. I'm just, are you, have you just tried to turn him now where it's like, okay, we're getting you ready for an NFL season. 
So Joe's different. From the day he got here, and this was always the plan, we were not preparing for the combine or for his pro day. We were getting ready for his rookie year. So even in the beginning, I had him ease into throwing. And I had him workout-wise, like for running, jumping, and lifting, I had him working out with Sam, Josh, Kyle, and Stidham. Because there was no point. He wasn't going to run the L drill or the 40, so I didn't even have him lift and run with the other draft guys. It's not because he's better than them or because he's the number one pick. It's because I literally, I don't want him wasting time doing those drills. If you can work on mobility and rotation and your base and your core. And so he basically did the whole time. Coronavirus aside, his, the, his plan was that of a guy coming off of his first year, you know, of a veteran workout. So he did all that stuff with those guys. And, so again, this it's coronavirus. Like I think Joe's like the least affected guy by all this, because we got through everything. As I mentioned earlier, we were going to spend a week preparing for his pro day. Like last week, we were going to spend like a week preparing for the pro day. Everything else that we've been doing has been getting him ready for his rookie year, breaking down the different coverages and different divisions, understanding how the league works, like um, just getting him ready to play. And it's not that all the drills are different. But I just didn't want to waste any time. And with the guys that are high picks, why if they're not going to run 40 and, and do all that stuff, you're talking about 20 or 30 hours they're going to put in over the course of two months on working on their start in the 40 and working on the cone drill, like the, the L drill. I just think that's a bad investment. So if it's a Trevor Lawrence next year or whoever it is on the road, I just, I'm not a believer in like wasting the time on that. If it's not going to affect your stock at all, we might as well invest that time into things that get you ready to play. Because if you're drafted that high, you're probably going to be expected to play. So on paper, then he should really hit the ground running. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think any of these guys that are up top, I mean, you know, Tua, he's he's got rehab going on too, and it sounds like it's going great. So he's probably in the mode of getting ready to play. And Herbert's been healthy and throwing a bunch. He's working out with John Beck, who works with a lot of vets. So I would assume John Beck's, or uh, Justin Herbert's doing the same thing. And so, yeah, I think most of these guys, um, you know, Joe different because, I, you know, he, he's I think he's set himself apart as, as the top pick. But these other guys who are potential first-round picks at quarterback, um, you know, they, they, I don't think this is going to uh, slow down their development more. I just think it's going to make it more difficult for other teams to evaluate them. And there's going to be people reaching a little bit on picks, I think. So, like, I mean, so, so this is, I mean, for him – right now we know where he's positioned and everything else would you be stunned if he wasn't the first pick in the draft to Cincinnati in three weeks uh, I mean I would but not based off of knowing anything inside I just um I haven't I haven't really talked to the Bengals I haven't really talked to Joe about it I just I'm kind of reading it you know make, making the assumption that the, the same, connecting the same dots that anybody else is connecting so for that I'd be I'd be surprised um but I also don't know. I mean, a player like him, if they did want to trade that pick, I'm sure they could get um, a bunch of good stuff for it, too. So I'm not really sure. When I played for the Bengals, it was I was under Marvin Lewis. This is a new staff. I, I'm not I, – I, people have connected me to the Bengals on a bunch of things. I played there a long time ago for a short amount of time. I'm not really dialed in with how they do things. And, you know, things have changed a lot over the years. And so I'm uh, not sure what they're thinking, but – um, just as a casual, regular football fan, yeah, I'd be surprised because it, um, it does make a lot of sense on a lot of levels. You think he's good with going there now? 
Um, yeah, I think so. I, I, you know, I don't think that he's really had, you know, he's not had a chance to meet with them or other teams really outside of Indy, but, um, yeah, I, I, uh, I would assume so. Okay. I, I do want to ask before I let you go, I want to ask you about Stidham because this is, um, I would say a really unique situation, right? Like you've got maybe the greatest player ever to play the sport leaving there um, after 20 years. And I mean, really becoming an icon in that area on the level of, I mean, a Bill Russell or a Larry Bird. Um, and I would think, you know, for a lot of kids, that would be a pretty heavy thing to step into. Why do you think Jared's qualified to step into that? Why is he, I, I guess maybe not even qualified is the right word. Maybe why is he, why, why, why is his temperament right um, to step into a situation like that? Um, I, when I think of Jared, there's a, there's a lot kind of that's going on behind the scenes that makes make him who he is that just a lot of people didn't don't know you know he had a pretty tough childhood and upbringing and um had to had to grow up really really fast and and get really mature at a young age um and didn't really have an option in that and so right there you go okay from a foundation standpoint this guy's been very independent for a long time um the second thing is he's very settled you know he's married guys his age usually aren't married um college sweetheart and uh you know, just has a great, very organized life. And actually the gal that he married, Kennedy, her father is the president of the Houston Rockets. And so now you go, well, okay, so Jarrett for, for the last five, six years has been around the James Hardens and Chris Pauls. And so when he was a college, he's around that stuff, right? And that's even bigger than, that's like, that is Tom Brady level. You know what I mean? These, these superstar NBA guys, just how big that is. Um, and at dinner and all that. And so he's just been exposed to a lot of it. And, uh, and then, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, all these kids idolize Tom Brady. And so then he goes and doesn't flinch and back him up. And, you know, I think Tom loved him and they had a great relationship and all that. And so he kind of went right into that. Um, uh, but he's also played big time football, you know, like a couple of years ago, he, they won the Iron Bowl. They beat a really good Bama team and they beat him because like Jarrett went off and kind of won the game. Um, so he's got all these little things that make him up, but then you look at him physically, and I just say like he's he's upper echelon arm talent in the NFL. He's right, you know, he's right there in the the top ten category in terms of just being able to spin it, accuracy, timing. Not the strongest, like blow you away. You know, I'm not top five arms in the league, but top ten in terms of ability to throw the football and put it where you want really consistently. That I've seen for years now. So I look at all of these different pieces. I go, man, his game is move around by time. He's a really sneaky athlete, like an Aaron Rodgers type runner. Um, and he's big enough and he's played in multiple systems. And he just spent a year in a room with Tom Brady and Marty and, you know, and McDaniels and some great football minds and, and it really didn't flinch. So, um, I don't know that I could sit here and say like, and this is why I guarantee he'll be Tom Brady his, second year in the NFL of course not but this is why it would make sense to me um that there is a comfort level giving him a real real opportunity at this um because he hasn't flinched he's got the makeup and physically he's capable of doing it now it's absolutely on him to go and do it and uh and that's what I'm excited to see I I'm interested about this though Right, like so, like the, the the thing was, and I'm sure you probably agree with this to some degree, that maybe the offense he played in at at Auburn wasn't the best fit for him for who he is as a quarterback. 
Do you think this could be a case of a kid going from a system that maybe he wasn't a great fit for in college to now landing in the right system and the right place in the pros? Thousand percent. Gus Malzahn's won a lot of games. He's got a big contract. He won a national championship. Um, but that system is not conducive. And, and he even addressed that. Uh, Auburn, I work with Bo Nix, who's the quarterback at Auburn now, played as a true freshman last year. They got a new coordinator in there. They're letting him run the show. Um, and so, like, they've addressed that. But, you know, Jarrett played in Gus Malzahn's offense, which is not conducive to playing in the NFL. And before that, he played in Art Bryles' offense at Baylor. That's even less, right? And so, Jarrett, in my opinion, had the least amount of stuff to unlearn when he got to the NFL. And then he spent last offseason, and it, in, the, in the room with him was Tom Brady and Brian Hoyer. How about this stat? Between those two guys, 31 years of NFL experience, 27 in that system. So you go, <laughs> all right. So he's learning from those people and great quarterback coach in there who had just worked with Sam Darnold the year before with the Jets. And so, you know, understands how to communicate with these young guys and do all that. And Jarrett had no rush to get on the field and any of that stuff. They let him, and statistically, he had the best preseason, I think, uh, uh, in the league last year. And so they just, you know, they've been giving him things and he's been maximizing the opportunity. And so you start to do that over and over and it's a pattern. And so now you're in this system with these people. They bring Hoyer back. Um, he's going to be well positioned to, um, to take this thing and run. Sound like sounds like you're really excited to see what happens. I mean, I've heard you talk so highly about him, but I have always felt he is going to be a way, way better NFL player than he was college player. And it, it, getting in a system where they're telling you, "Hey, here's the read. Here's how you do it. Here's where you go with the ball." People people think that uh, fans a lot of times think that it would be cool to play quarterback and just be able to throw it wherever you want. Well, in my college system that I played for Mike Price, who's kind of the creator of the spread offense. Um, I threw a ton of touchdowns and a ton of interceptions. And part of it was, you know, we'd say, hey, we got the post over here. You can take that if you want. We got the out route backside. If you feel good about this, you can go ahead and dunk it right here. And you know, if somebody comes hot, you just kick it out there and kind of where, wherever you feel. And that's fun and that's cool. The problem is at this age, these guys need to be told if it's this coverage, go here to here to here. If it's that coverage, go there. And if the guys can memorize that and execute it, they're just more likely to have success and put the ball in the right guy's hand. So with Jared, now this, this type of structure and this type of offense, um, yeah, I think we're going to see the best version of him that no one's ever seen. And it's going to come at a really good time for a really good program. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, Hey Jordan, I always appreciate the time. He's a recurring guest for a reason. We love having him on. Um, tell the people, and I'm sure everybody knows by now, but tell people where they can find you. Yeah. Easiest for me. is just, uh, Instagram, Jordan Palmer. Um, and, uh, as I'm cooped up in my house, I'm working on taking everything that's in my head and putting it onto a screen. And, um, and so for all the young quarterbacks and actually for the parents to, um, basically taking what I do at my camps and dumping that online and, allowing people really all over the world because I'm getting DMs from quarterbacks in other countries asking for ways to get better. And so I'm excited here over the next month or two as we're all locked up um, to figure out a way to uh, share what I've learned with uh, with more people, with all both the players and the parents. And uh, so my Instagram is the best way to find that. And thanks for having me, man. Awesome. Thanks, Jordan. Always appreciate it. Yep. See ya.
If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating Cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and challenge all-star. And speaking of all-stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. 
old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of challenge champion. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, I always appreciate Jordan coming out. He's the best. Fantastic insight on Sam Darnold, on Josh Allen, on Kyle Allen, on Jared Stidham and Joe Burrow. And of course, just great insight on the position in general and how guys are handling this really, really strange circumstance. Okay. Uh, you guys know how the mailbag has worked the last few weeks because we're not in studio because of the everything going on. Of course, we're going back to old, the old school way of doing this. That means we're doing the six pack and that means I'm putting the call out for questions on Twitter on Tuesday. I ask you fill my timeline up with fill my mentions up with questions. I pick six. If I pick yours, I give you a like on Twitter. That means I hit that little heart there and you get an answer here on the pod. Question number one from Jake Spriggs. That's at Spriggsy fresh as the show goes on with the NFL draft still take scheduled to take place April 23rd to the 25th. What types of teams have could have an advantage with new ways of communication slash drafting this year? I think the teams that have the advantage this year are the ones that have been aggressive in the past and getting rookies playing time that have a blueprint for doing that. Seattle over Pete Carroll's tenure because they're sort of simple on both sides of the ball has been really, really good at that, right? Like, so like you look, go, if you want to go back to the early years, Bobby Wagner was the, was kind of the, the quarterback of the defense, um, as a rookie in 2012, Russell Wilson was quarterback of the offense, of course, and they wound up going to the divisional rounds of the play, round of the playoffs, and they won um, the Super Bowl in the second year for both those guys, for Wagner and, and Wilson. And you look at what they did last year with DK Metcalf. They've just had a way of getting guys in the field and getting guys to produce early. And so the teams that have track record of getting guys going early, um, which usually equates to teams having maybe a little bit of a simpler system, those will be the teams that have the advantage this year because they'll be able to identify that guy can come in and contribute right away and you know they can project them right into roles. I think it's going to be dip, more difficult to do that in 2020 because you're not going to have an offseason. And so and, – and Seattle did it. And, look, Seattle did it in 2011, again, with with Richard Sherman when, in, in, a, in a period of time when there was a lockout. And so – I think teams that have the experience that have done that in the past and have been good at it in the past, I think it helps. I also think teams that went through the lockout year, it's going to help them um, with their coaches. So, like, you know, you're John Harbaugh in Baltimore, you're Bill Belichick in New England, you're, um, you're Sean Payton in New Orleans. Coaches who went through it, Mike McCarthy in Dallas now went through it in Green Bay. Your head coaches who went through it before, I think, are an advantage. Question number two from Jay Mills. That's at James K. Mills, the third with it being reported that the, the the Chiefs are only $177 under the cap. Shout out to Field Yates, my buddy from ESPN, for reporting that. What does that mean for signing draft picks or free agents in the inevitable event of an injury? I They're not going to have $177 in cap space when we get past the draft. Um, they are going to work this out one way or another. My guess is they, they work to extend Chris Jones. They may be able to create some cap space there. They work to do a deal with Sammy Watkins or maybe they move on from Sammy Watkins. That's going to create some space. It's not going to be like this forever. They're going to do something. 
Um, you know, the two names, that, the, again, the Chris Jones is in the Sammy Watkins. There's going to be, you know, I think money moved around there. Um, and I think what's really interesting about it, what it means for Patrick Mahomes going forward, does he do an extension this offseason? Is it feasible for them to do that? Because they are going to need space to sign draft picks. They are going to need space so, sort of in that emergency fund when the season gets here. So I wouldn't expect them to be sitting there for much longer with $177 in cap space, but it did look funny when when that was tweeted out the other day. Question number three from Derm Wright FF. That's at Derm FF. How much of the off-season, pro, off-season training camp, preseason, regular season will be impacted? I know it's a pure guess. Could the season be canceled? Games without or a limited number of fans? Do you think the NFL has a contingency plan? Of course, we went over this off the top. They say that they've been focused completely on the idea of going forward with a full season as is. Uh, it seems unlikely to me that they haven't at least talked about the idea of a contingency plan. Again, they have to put on that front that they are going forward business as usual. But I just sit here and tell you there's no way that they haven't at least talked about some sort of contingency plan. My guess would be that the offseason programs are completely wiped out and that the NFL probably starts up at training camp. But again, that's a pure guess. I don't have an idea. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. Um, what, what's, in, what's interesting to me is sort of what we've heard over the last few days, which is that this could sort of dissipate over the summer and then come back in the fall, which is sort of a scary prospect, you know, it at least raises the possibility that we're far from out of the woods on this question. Number three, this is from Franco El Tanco. That's at Franco El Tanco. What are the chances the Rams scrap their rebrand like Frisco did in 1991 when there's received nowhere close to negativity. I got to tell you when San Francisco, I rolled out that logo in 1991, there was lots of negativity. Just, we didn't have social media to bitch on. I don't think they scrapped their rebrand. I'm withholding judgment until the uniforms come out. I don't like the LA logo. I do like the Rams head. I do think that they should go with the Rams head as their primary logo. You know, and and again, like I'm withholding judgment until the uniforms. I want the uniforms to look like the 80s, 90s Rams uniforms do. If that's what they look like on the field, I've got no problem with that. You can deal with a logo. Question number four. This is from, oh, you know what? I'm one behind on these, I think, actually. So this is question number five from GM Wannabe. That's at GM Wannabe. Hearing some rumblings about the Vikings trading up in the first round. Could you see them trading up into the mid-teens, mid to late teens, if a top four offensive tackle or top three receiver falls, and then trading back from 25 to recoup the draft capital? Not impossible. I think it's probably more likely that they'll be in striking distance for one of the top three receivers than one of the top four tackles. Uh, my guess is one of the top the, the, the top four tackles. Again, like I said, off the top, probably going to the top 13 or so picks. Uh, you have teams in, right on the fringe of the top 10 in, in Cleveland and the Jets at 10 and 11 that I think would be of a mind to take a tackle. So my, my feeling is you probably have to move up too far from 22 to get to in position, get, to get yourself in position to take a tackle. You could wind up moving yourself into position, though, to get a Jerry Judy or to get a CD lamb. And so that seems more realistic to me. If you do move up, then yeah, you certainly could move back from 25 to recoup draft capital. I think once they get the receiver in place to play opposite Adam Thielen, which is a need now with Stefan Diggs gone. Um, you know, I certainly think you're going to see them build up the offensive and defensive lines a little bit, but I don't think that they're in striking distance, to get one of the four tackles. I do think they're in striking distance to get one of the top receivers. Finally, question number six from moose block. That's at moose underscore block. What draft day trades do you think might happen that nobody's talking about? 
pay attention to the veteran market, guys. I I think it's going to be difficult to trade on draft day. I think it's going to be difficult for teams to move around too much because of the communication issues that are going to exist. You may see less trading because of it. Pay attention to the veteran market. This is something that a couple people have brought up to me, especially with teams where coaches might be on the hot seat. If you have needs to fill, you may need to do it through veteran acquisition based on the circumstances we're in. Remember, we did not know what it was that we did not know that it was going to be like this. We had an idea, but we didn't know it was going to be like this um, when free agency was ramping up. So there are teams that have holes still on their rosters. They're looking at it and saying to themselves, how do we fill these? And doing it with a rookie might not be optimal right now because you are not going to have April and May and June in all likelihood to get these guys ready to go. It's going to be tougher to incorporate rookies in 2020. And so if you're a team that's got an issue as far as you know, you're, you need a tackle, you need a linebacker, whatever it might be, you might be better served to flip some of your draft capital and go and get a veteran. So I think that there could wind up being a more active veteran market than trading of picks right around the NFL draft. Something to pay attention to going forward. Appreciate you guys coming out. Hoping everybody out there has good health. Everybody's staying safe. Everybody's following the guidelines one more time. Um, appreciate you guys coming out always. And I want your feedback. How can we make this a better di- distraction for you guys during this time? Anything I can do to make this more entertaining. Maybe we go a couple t- t- times a week when we get past the draft. Whatever you guys want. Just Get your feedback to me. You can get you, you can get your feedback to me on Twitter at Albert Breer, on Facebook at Albert R. Breer, on Instagram at Albert underscore Breer. Always remember to all listen to all of our podcasts. Jenny and Connor on the Weekside Podcast, Gary on the Monday Morning Podcast. You can get all of us on one feed now. That's the MMQB NFL Podcast feed. You can also get your news on the MMQB NFL News Feed. Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, wherever you guys get your shows. Same time next week. I'll see you guys then. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. 
I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening.